Welcome to the Stepping In a Podcast. I'm Renee Schulte. And I'm Jason Haglund. We're here to dive deep into the complex, often overwhelming world of behavioral health systems, structures, and the never-ending barriers. That's right, Jason. We know firsthand the challenges individuals and families face when trying to access and navigate the behavioral health system. We want to save you from stepping in the crap we've encountered with many of our clients. Together, we'll be shedding light on the issues and opportunities within the behavioral health system. By sharing stories, discussing policy implications, we will offer up valuable insights and practical solutions for improving the system at every level. So grab a cup of coffee or something stronger, or in Jason's case, a venti peppermint mocha. Sit back and get ready to step in the world of behavioral health with the Stepping In It podcast. Hello, Renee, and welcome to another episode. What is it we're going to be talking about today? Oh, today we're going to be celebrating veterans. We're coming up upon Veterans Day, one of my favorite days of the year. Oh, here we are. We're in November. This is when I'm always on track to be finishing combining corn. So we're just going to hope that I keep the combine rolling and maybe we'll be able to start doing more episodes once that gets done, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've been really busy this season. It's been a little crazy. I know you allowed my nephew to come down and be on the combine and haven't stopped talking about that yet. So thanks for that. You know, we don't have a lot of combining in our family, so that's a lot of fun. But on Veterans Day, I really appreciate this vet, this holiday because I have a ton of veterans in my family. Um, my, my husband's a veteran. I have a brother and sister-in-law who are both veterans and are my grandparents are veterans. My father-in-law was a veteran. And so I was a military spouse for a while. And so veterans are near and dear to my heart. We have family and, and it just depends. Some of our family really struggled with mental health issues um, due to and was compounded by some of their time in the military. We're going to talk about that some today. And then I have some others who, who really didn't and they really enjoyed their time in the military. And so it's kind of it's not a one size fits all conversation today, but we want to just talk about our veterans. And first of all, just say thank you for your service, because it's an important job that veterans do and they protect our freedom. And we're just really grateful for you and want to be able to honor you with this with this special edition. Absolutely. You know, there's veterans in my family as well. My dad was in the National Guard for many years and my grandfather served um, so certainly as we think about veterans and what we can do to support our veterans. And I think, as I think about the mental health space and what we see as we travel around Renee's, you know, we've talked, you know, at length before about how difficult it is to access care. And so oftentimes veterans have access to so many different types of supports that many veterans don't even understand they have access to. And so I think it's important that we help as much as we can to highlight all the resources that are available to our veterans, because they may not need it when they first come out. But sometimes it's 10 or 15 or 20 years later right. that that they start to experience um, some feelings about things and don't know exactly what to do with that. That's right. And the and the veteran services have changed. Originally, uh, things like mental health and behavioral health, they had to go within the veteran system to get care. And with stigma and with challenges with not wanting that maybe in their record so that it would you know impact promotions and and all of that that they have really opened that up and now allow veterans to be able to go into the private sector to find the care that they need. And so sometimes those rules change and expand and give them more access that if they're not really tied into the system or maybe thought about it once upon a time and, oh, I don't really need those services, to your point, they may not even know what's available today. So today we're just going to highlight some of those things because 
the Veterans Department and the Department of Veterans Affairs at the at the United States level have they have priorities that they've released for serving veterans that include better mental health and substance use treatment, including prevention of veteran suicide, because veteran suicide has been a challenge through the years and they know so. And so the current administration is really putting an emphasis on this and wants to do things better to help prevent suicide. And so there's really a push now at that national level um, for care to improve. Yeah, you know, and I think unfortunately, you know, the military has learned through through mistakes over the years and seeing um, the devastation of suicide of soldiers um, after they've served in communities that they've they've made changes, right? And I think they're changes that are positive changes to start thinking about how can they better focus on supporting post deployment um, or post service. Um, what exactly can be done to help support veterans? You know, and I think it's important to highlight that. You know, historically, there were a lot more veterans. If we go back, you know, in history in the 40s, you know, almost 12% of our general population was serving in the military. To today, it's less than a half percent, right? So there are less individuals serving. However, uh, of those individuals serving, there's more likely to be multiple deployments, right? So the levels um, of what people see and experience are higher, you know, just like with anything, um, we become more efficient, uh, but with that efficiency becomes higher levels of risk sometimes. And so it's important to also recognize some of the ways that historically veterans received support from each other may not be as readily accessible. And the generations have changed as to what mm-hmm. they expect as well from that. And so as we have this conversation today, um, you know, we need to put it through the lens of not all veterans are the same. Veterans that served in in, in in the World Wars or or Vietnam have a very different expectation than than veterans who served in the War on Terror um, or some of the other deployments that have occurred um, because there's a very different perspective that both has to do with generational age gaps, um, expectations, whole lots of things that go into that conversation. Yeah. Uh, my husband is a really great example of that. He served in Desert Storm, but he was in Air Force and he worked on aircraft. And he specifically worked on, at the time, it was the stealth fighter jet who would, they would bomb at night. But he wasn't even in the country where war was happening. He was in a different country where at night they would fix up the planes and then they would send them off on their jobs at night. And then during the day, he pretty much did whatever he wanted. And for him, there was a whole lot of volleyball and a whole lot of, he felt more like it was a, a day camp kind of summer camp kind of thing because they would work all night and then they would just have their days free. And you know, although it was away from home and some things were challenging that way, it just really didn't feel like war. And for a long time, he didn't even want to be known as a veteran because it he felt his his duties were so much lighter and just so much not the same as some of the others. And so it really, really is um specific to people. I have another friend. Um, her husband is young, but he has dementia due to a traumatic brain injury that occurred um, while serving overseas. He was a Marine and I don't know, was close to a particular bombing or something. And so she's living a life as a spouse of young children with young children with a husband who now has a brain injury with dementia due to it. And so her 
impact of the war is very, very different than mine, even though we're both spouses of veterans. And so when you start thinking about this, Jason, it's a really important factor. And so like for my for my husband, he hasn't really used any veterans benefits to your point earlier because he hasn't needed to or had to. That doesn't mean that someday he might not want to or not, might not need them for other reasons for his health or something, but he hasn't needed to where others are like right away having to figure out the system. And it's it's not the easiest system to navigate sometimes. And so there's a lot of bureaucracy that can get involved, just like any other insurance. Uh, there's a lot that comes with all of that. So I know we were talking today about some of that data, but what are some of the data points that you're seeing when we're talking about veterans? Yeah, you know, when I think about veterans, I think about PTSD, right? And so, you know, I think Mm -hmm. you just pointed out TBIs, you know, there's lots of different, you know, scenarios that we think of that come to top in mind, but we know for sure, right? And so there's varying data, um, depending on which cohort of veterans we look at, but, you know, only about six to 7% of Americans will experience PTSD over their lifetime. However, you know, like I said, it, it could be as low as 16%, 16%, as high as 35% of military veterans will experience PTSD. So, you know, you're looking at three to five times higher rates of post-traumatic stress disorder right. in our veterans because of what they've experienced on the job um, serving our country. And so I, I think it's really important, you know, that we think about, you know, what we know about post-traumatic stress disorder is it, it doesn't necessarily pop up right away. Um, and it can also be secondary trauma as well, right? So it's not just experiencing that firsthand. And so, you know, in the example of your husband, um, there's still stuff there, right? He was mm-hmm. working on those planes. And so that that can be just mm-hmm. the same as the pilot who who was flying that jet, Mm-hmm. you know, on those sorties. So thinking about as, you know, from a data perspective, different populations will experience that differently, but there are much higher rates of both suicide, post-traumatic stress disorder, many uh, depression within our, our veterans. And so, mm-hmm. you know, as, as we think about access and how we support veterans, we really need to think about they are an increased risk population across the board. Right. And so for my husband and for my uh, in-laws and other people, there's also physical disabilities that come along with with serving. So even if you maybe weren't mentally traumatized at the time, and so he's got some hearing loss due to working with the Jets and some things that are just challenges for him. But others, you know, I've got family members who had issues where they jumped out of planes and maybe the parachute didn't uh, land quite right. And so they've got uh, chronic back issues, back pain, and that leads to that substance use that we've talked about a lot among populations because they may have chronic pain or other challenges just from their job that was serving. And so, and that then can lead to the depression and lead to the struggles and just not being able to have that normal regular life because they've just got that extra put on their bodies. And those folks that are veterans, I mean, you stay in really good shape for a long time. So you're working really hard um, and making you know your physical health. And there's a lot of strenuous activities too. Uh, my brother was in the army and so the stories that he tells about some of just the strenuous hard part of on, you know, on his physical body was a big deal. And here in Iowa, we have a lot of National Guard and in National Guard, some of those stories are interesting because they're basically serving on the home front a lot of the time, but they do get deployed. And so one of my coworkers at work right now, he was deployed to Iraqi Freedom, which is the same uh, to Desert Storm, I meant to the same place where my husband and where my brother is served at the same time, but he was National Guard and basically had three days notice and got sent overseas. And so some of our guardsmen um, end up kind of more traumatized because they're doing 
guard as sort of part-time supplement at home and then get deployed to like the southern border like we've seen, or they get deployed somewhere on short notice and may not even really be mentally prepared for what they're about to endeavor. So as we talk today, there's a lot of people that just struggle for a lots of different reasons. You know, you you brought up a really good point, and I, I often I have a friend who um, is a is a veterans or a regional veterans affair officer who supports veterans, and he often talks about what's the worst thing we did for our veterans um, historically. Do you know what's in every small town across pretty much the Midwest, Renee? I don't think so. Have you ever heard of the American Legion? Oh yeah, yeah. What do people generally do at an American Legion? We drink a lot at the American Legion. Drink a lot, right? And so one of the worst things um, my friend always talks about is what's the worst thing we did for our veterans is we put a bunch of people who are experiencing trauma and having post-traumatic stress disorder in a bar and told them this is how you can heal. And so we did that for decades, right? And and really to, to a detriment to our veterans. And that's still a pillar in many of our small rural communities um, that if you've got a problem, you go down to the bar and wow. you sit with your buddies and that doesn't help anybody. Right. No. Um, but unfortunately that was the culture that was created in that time. And so you see a rejection, a lot of that. You don't see a lot of younger folks in American legions, actually a lot of, a lot of folks I know kind of in my age cohort, they don't even want to be associated with the American legion. And so we're seeing some of the, that, change, right? That transition. Um, And part of it is because of where it came from, where it's rooted in. And so sometimes we need to take pause and think about, you know, is it really there to support people or was it doing more harm than good? Right. And, you know, and I think about years and years ago, maybe that was the best idea they had come up with thinking that camaraderie, because there are some support groups out there that do put people together that have been through trauma and war, and they see the benefits of that. But it needs to be a guided to your point, right? Not just sitting at the bar um, telling your war stories and drinking, but a guided conversation about what happened and helping people because there's a lot of isolation also among uh, veterans that have returned from war. If you've if you've ever watched any stories about a lot of that, um, you know they're often in combat with the, what they call their brothers, right? And there's that family unit, family unit feel. And then when they return back to their communities. They just don't have that anymore. And they may come back wounded or come back, you know, missing a limb or whatever. And they just come back to a community who didn't understand that brotherhood of support and didn't understand what they went through and didn't, you know, they don't can't really even put into words what they saw or what they did or what happened. And they just lack support. So there is value in bringing people together for support. What's not valuable is to your point is adding the substances to it. And so, you know, I think that's the big change that we're seeing is they're really seeing the value in bringing them together, but just maybe not in the way we used to do it. And so continuing on in our data conversation, I mean, we talk more about like, not just PTSD, but there's other, there's other diagnoses that we're seeing among veterans. Absolutely. You know, and I I think as, as we think about, um, depression and, and, you know, pretty much any disorder, whether we want to talk about substances can be sped along as we think about trauma. And so, you know, I, I think the connection between trauma and how we transition and assist veterans in in successfully transitioning back is difficult and and that's really has to do with making sure the resources are accessible um mm-hmm. and easily available um so when a veteran is ready 
for that type of support, whatever the condition may be, because things come up in life post-service that mm-hmm. that's the appropriate professional is available and accessible. So I know in, in my life, I have a family member who uh, really struggled after being in the military and the diagnosis might've been there pre-military. The diagnosis is around bipolar disorder, um, a lot of mood swings, but the military didn't make that better. And I came back and worked for the postal service for a very long time and had this love-hate relationship with the VA, um, just really challenging for them to try to get the services that they needed, and grew up in the era where they were required to come to the VA to get their services, uh, required to go there for their health care, and uh, just really, really pushed back. And some of the repercussions of that, um, they would stockpile medications um, because they were afraid that they were going to make them have to show up in person to get a, re- a prescription refill. Whether you guys know this or not, but for a lot of years, the military was a big part of the problem uh, for getting too many prescription drugs on the street. I'm going to circle back to my family member in just a minute. But when I was a military spouse, if I had any kind of ailment, the 800 milligram Motrin that was this large pink pill would come in really big bottles for every occasion. It did not matter if I had a toothache or I had stomach cramps. It did not matter. I'd go home with this big bottle. And that was just one medication. And they were very, very liberal for lots of years of prescription meds, which did not help the prescription med challenges. So my father-in-law, though, they started trying to crack down on medication, as they should, right? We shouldn't just get medications and never see the doctor. But for years and years and years and years and years, never did had to go see anybody. And so once the crackdown began of saying, you know, you have to come in to be able to be seen to get your prescriptions, that's when stockpiling a medication started happening because didn't want to have to run out, right? And didn't want to, you know, what happens if he didn't have want to be seen? So there's this whole generation there that where they were getting free ongoing prescriptions of opioids for pain, ongoing prescriptions of Xanax for sleep, ongoing prescriptions of just all of these things that we now know in large quantities are really bad on the black market. But they were just given out like candy for years and years and years. And then as they started to pull back on that, there's people in that space that now have pain, but maybe can't get the medications they need to address the pain anymore and are really struggling. And that is contributing to that suicide issue of people in chronic, constant pain, um, just feeling like there's no way out. And so that is a story that has been part of my family. And I've heard it numerous times and in the in the realm that we are in with friends that are in the military. And, and that's really unfortunate. And so although the policy shifted, right, to just not give out medications freely, some people got hurt in those decisions. And I know the farming community that's happened too, because you hear about farmers who had chronic pain, who had their ongoing medications and now can't get them. So it's not just veterans, but it's across our communities where maybe a positive change in policy has really hurt some people. Yeah, I think the connection to healthcare is really important to talk about because, you know, similar to the farming community, veterans came into contact with lots of chemicals and other things that have caused a lot of chronic health conditions. Right. And so understanding that connection from physical health to mental health is very, very important when we think about veterans. Yeah. And so today what we want to do is make sure that we have talk about what are those options for help? Because we don't want you to think that there's not options. If you're a veteran or knows a veteran in your family and your friends, there are options. And one of the great new programs that is happening that actually really could help is the 988 suicide hotline that we use for crisis calls 
and hotline. So Jason, talk to us about 988 and how is it specifically beneficial to veterans? Absolutely. You know, 988 is a three-digit number that we can call now. And it's not just about suicide, right? It's about if you need to talk to someone, if you need some support. And when you call 988, you'll be prompted to press a digit if you're a veteran. And so it's specifically the access point to the veterans hotline, um, which is answered by fellow veterans. And so it is probably one of the best safe places to call if you're a veteran to talk to someone who understands your perspective, you know, or at least understands where you're coming from when we talk about the culture because it is a different culture. And so, you know, it, it is important if you're a veteran to talk to someone else who understands what it means to serve. And so I think, you know, as as I think about it, how you could support someone um, is remind them that 988 has a specific access point to veterans resources, because that's a great place for people to start. In our show notes today, Jason, we're going to make sure we link all of this because there's actually a veterans crisis line directly as well. And so we're, in our show notes, we'll be able to show people exactly where they can go because it's not just for the veteran themselves. There's also supports for the family members. And so like for my friend who's dealing with her husband who now has early onset dementia, right? There is a ton of things that she is finding that can help support her and her young kids. And and it's, it's there, it's available. It just not everybody knows about it. And so these particular, the 988 line are, are kind of your gateway. They're sort of what Jason said, that's sort of that first step that can get you more resources where they can tell you what else is out there, what else is available. Most states also have local veterans affairs offices. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. across the state of Iowa, every county um, within their county structure has a veterans affairs specialist. And so there are so many local resources as well as the national resources for you to start with. And, you know, let's not forget the VA. The VA does so much more mm-hmm. um, than it's ever done before. And so sometimes these are the best ways to get connected to your local um, resource within the VA that might be able to help you. And oftentimes they'll even do home visits. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they will make it easy for you. You just have to make that first call. That's right. So today we're going to talk about my recovering politician self-care tip. And one of the things that have come out of today's conversation and several others is that isolation makes all of what we just discussed way more difficult. Whether you're the person that you're self-struggling or the family member who feels like nobody understands, right? Isolation makes it worse. So one of the tips that I will just share with you is I use what's called a full focus planner. I'm a planner kind of person. And that includes goals for my year, goals for my months, my weeks, my days. And I will plan how to rest and rejuvenate that includes connections. That may sound mean if any of my friends are listening, don't tell them. But I have to sometimes actually write it down as a goal or it doesn't happen. If I don't pencil in time with my friends or time to do something fun, my work-driven brain will just keep working and I won't spend time with my husband. I won't spend time with friends or I only spend time with my husband because he's home a lot and not with other people outside of the house. And so I have to like make that a priority and actually plan it. And as it gets colder and darker, like now, even with the dumb time change, I just don't want to leave the house at night. I get home and I want to put on my comfy clothes and get all bundled up and just not go out. And that doesn't help me with the isolation piece. And it may make me stay home too much and that's this wallowing in my own thoughts. And so for me, through this season of cold and winter, that's a big push for me is to make sure I get out of the house and to connect with others. So Jason, what about you? 
Yeah, you know, I know Renee, when, when you have that conversation, I think about veterans, right? And one of the big issues we have with veterans as they age is they isolate increasingly. And, mm -hmm. you know, in this day and age when everything can be delivered to you, mm -hmm. um, including your groceries and your alcohol, we see veterans in some cases who are struggling with post-traumatic stress disorder, even more isolated and reclusive than ever before. And so I think about what can you do um, to help someone you're concerned about? Maybe it's a neighbor. Uh, maybe it's someone down the street. You know, how could you help them kind of like you write in your calendar to make sure that you get out a little bit more? How can you help support someone and maybe getting out just a little bit more feeling safe that they can do that? Because mm -hmm. one of the biggest challenges when you talk to people um, at the VA or who support individuals who are struggling with some of these different mental health concerns, it's, you know, it used to be at least someone would get out of the store once a week and go to the grocery store mm -hmm. or come to their appointment. Well, that doesn't even have to happen anymore with telehealth mm -hmm. and with the ability to have everything in the world delivered to you tomorrow by a click of a button. And so that isolation piece becomes even more difficult to treat. And I think that's the challenge moving forward as we become more connected electronically um, in these special populations like veterans it's actually been detrimental um, because there, there are times when people need to get out, they need to have social interaction that's mm -hmm. going to help them emotionally. And so think about what you can do for someone who may be really struggling in that space and not getting out. And they found it really easy to stay in. And so we need to make it a little harder to stay in sometimes because that's going to help people. That's right. So as we talk today, we first of all just want to honor and thank all of our veterans for all that they've done to serve our country. And we're, we wouldn't be here without you. So thank you for that. But we talked about some of the challenges, the loneliness and isolation that Jason just referenced. And, you know, we are seeing more and more suicide. And that is only compounded by that loneliness and isolation. So making sure you get connected. There are resources. We've posted those in the show notes today, especially 988. Um, they have a specific line for veterans that know exactly what you're dealing with and what you're going through that you can connect with very easily to move on to the next step. Thank you so much for listening to us today. Next week, we're going to be focusing on National Rural Health Day because that's what's coming up next. We'll see you all then. Thank you for joining us on our episode of the Stepping In It podcast. We hope that our discussions and insights have provided you with a deeper understanding of the Baby Rural system and the challenges that it presents. Remember, we're here to help you navigate the complexities that keep your shoes clean from avoiding stepping into the crap we've encountered through our careers. If you have any questions or you want to recommend to us what products you use to keep your boots clean, we're open to that. And we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us at ruralpolicypartners.com or follow us on Facebook or LinkedIn. Stay tuned for more thought-provoking conversations, expert interviews, and practical solutions in the episodes to come. Together, we can work towards creating a more accessible and effective behavioral health system for everyone. We can do so much more by working together and talking about it. Until next time, I'm Renee Schulte, the recovering politician. And I'm Jason Hagelin, the khaki farmer. Thanks for listening to the Stepping In It podcast.